Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you don't love me anymore, I'll be an overachiever. I'll make you a believer that I don't love you either. Hey, it's Steve Balton. You're here on My Turning Point. And this week, I have an incredible conversation for you with Brandy Clark, who delivered one of the best albums of this year. Teaming with Brandy Carlisle, who produced the record, Clark has delivered a stunning masterpiece highlighted by the song Buried. Hope you enjoy this conversation on songwriting as much as I did. Wait, so you, is this setting you up for a good political run? Is that the idea with the shaking hands and kissing babies? Yeah, and not just for the... It, actually, the Tony part of it is secondary. What I didn't realize is since I've never done this, how big the touring component is to Broadway theater or Broadway musicals. So like we did an event today, it was two hours of meeting all these theater owners around the country because everybody's vying for a spot in their theater for, you know, a two to six week run. And so they have to put together a national tour. And so it's to hopefully get those people to want our show. And, you know, like there was a matinee today. I didn't go because I've been doing these other interviews. and It was kind of nice to have a break from all that. And so, you know, they fill the theater up with a lot of those people. It's like, have you ever done a radio seminar? Yeah. It's like that. Like, I'm like, this feels like a radio seminar. Yeah, it's so interesting to me because I don't really know the theater world at all. Although it's funny, my ex-wife, her, uh, who's still one of my best friends, her mm -hmm. brother is married to a Broadway producer who has worked on a ton of shows. So I've heard peripherally. And then Cameron Crowe's a good friend. And oh, so I yeah. went through the whole uh, almost famous, uh, you know, and I know he was very happy with the Broadway, with the Tony nomination as well. But yeah, mm -hmm. I think it sounds like it's like any world where it's very... Um, a little bit political and a lot of who you know. It is. You know, I I was talking about that to our book writer. And speaking of Cameron Crowe and Almost Famous, our choreographer was the choreographer on Almost Famous. Um, and she loved working with him. Oh, he's the best. Well, I know he and Brandy are very close. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. But yeah, it is totally. I mean, I was telling our book writer who gets really twisted up about these things. I mean, we all can, but... I don't get as twisted about these as I do music awards because this is such a team. I never feel like it's just me that that is, you know, either being nominated or not being nominated. And I was telling our book writer, I said, here's the thing. It's about where the voters are at, like where you got to know where the votes are to get them. That's really what it comes down to. 
I mean, if you've made a if you've made a great record or a great show or whatever, you you still have to to know that part of it. Well, I mean, how gratifying is it? And it's funny because we're going to come on to your album in a second because it's just fucking brilliant. Oh, um, thank you. So, well, we met at the at the Brandy, you know, yeah. when you guys did the listening thing, and it's so good. I actually posted on my Instagram stories today, by the way, and we're going to come back to this in a second. But if, if Buried isn't nominated for Grammy Song of the Year, I'm fucking quitting. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you for saying that. <laughs> it's so good. Thank you. Uh, okay, well, since I mentioned it, I mean, it's so funny when... <laughs> When you're right, I was talked to Don was who I've known for years, right? And he was telling me about um, being in the studio with Bonnie when she did "I Can't Make You Love Me," and mm-hmm. we were talking about it. And he was saying that to him, that was just one of those moments where you knew you captured it. For him, being you know there, but also obviously not being the artist, he's like, we, you, you just knew that it was so special. And I remember talking with Adele when Twenty One came out about you know joking with her about the fact that we were doing an AOL sessions and she made the entire someone like you and she started laughing and she's like it's so easy to make men cry. Did you know with buried? I mean, come on, that last line. Well, like when when I did the vocal or when we did when we cut it, you know that was a situation where I really was that upset when I sang it. I had gotten some bad news unrelated to what we were doing and I came back in the studio and I had been crying and Brandy said, Oh, we let's cut buried right now. And I said, Oh, I, I don't know. You know, this, I don't sing well when I've been crying like that. And and she said, Oh, it will just, you know, she was so smart in that. Well, we can replace the vocal. And then she had Brandon Bell, the engineer turned my microphone way up and said, I want you to almost whisper sing it. And so I, when I started to do that, I really got into it because I the way the players changed, when I quit singing it and just started like almost whispering it, like what you hear, I I really went for it then. And it was so raw and vulnerable. It was hard for me to listen to it. But what, what got me when I had my moment where I was like, oh yeah, this is it, was when the co-writer on that song, Jesse Jo Dillon, she played it for her brother. And... She said that her brother said, tell Brandy she better not change a goddamn syllable. Like, don't change it. <laughs> and so then I knew, you know. It's funny. I mean, did, even when you were writing it, did you? Okay. I'm very fascinated with the art of songwriting. And, and especially of late, I've been talking with everyone. And it doesn't matter who it is. Like, I was talking with Ludacris yesterday to Willie Nelson. And you talk with every songwriter and they will say the same thing. That, that so much of thing is subconscious unconscious and then it comes you know it's almost like a channeling mm-hmm. so for you and there are songs that just feel closer to the universe and yeah. buried to me is one of those songs that just feels like you know and the whole record's wonderful by the way but that song in particular is just this one where you're just like as a writer you just are so jealous and you're just like come on man yeah i mean i do think that jesse joe and i channeled something that day because i had the beginning of that song. I don't know where it came from. I was sitting in my writing room and I was playing piano, which I don't usually play. I usually play guitar, but I sang that first line, I'll fly myself to France, first class, New York to Paris. And I just kept singing that over and over. And she got there and, and Jessie's a real character. She's one of my favorite characters and she's a fantastic writer and an amazing editor. Like I know if Jesse thinks something's good, it's really good. And I said, Jesse, what do you think of this? And I sang it to her and she was, she goes obsessed and like 
throws her, <laughs> throws her book down and lays down on the floor. She literally laid down on the floor and we just kind of like bled that song out. So it did feel, we found, we, we, we got, we, we've channeled something that day. Now it's so interesting for you when that happens, do you like, are you able to look back on it then where it came from? Or is it just something that always remains a mystery to you? It's a mystery to me. And I think that's, what's beautiful about it. And the way I've, the way I view it, I like to view things almost like sports and cause I have to write a lot of songs to channel something like I just have to. And so the way that I, that I compare it to a sport is every day is practice. And then the day that a song like buried comes into the room, it's the game. And if you haven't been coming to practice, you're not going to win the game. And so I think part of that is knowing to stay out of the way is not being afraid when it's effortless. Like it is like you just find this, like a channel is a good way to put it or this vortex where these, where this song is coming from and just being smart enough to stay out of the way of it. Another song on this record that came that way was um, up above the clouds that song came so fast, we almost couldn't write it down. Jesse and I started it in, in the garage when Jimmy was making a work tape of another song we had written. And I, Jesse had the idea and I said, hey, it just hit me what that chorus should be. And I said, let's go out into the garage. And so we went out into the garage at this place where we were writing. And I started singing that, when your blue eyes are crying, I didn't even have the words. I just had the melody and we started on it and then we brought it back in and Jimmy was like, Oh my God. And it just same kind of thing. It just came so easy and effortless um, that we knew I was so proud of all three of us for not getting in the way of that one too. Cause it's easy to get in the way of a song and think, Oh, we should have to work harder on this or this can't be right. Um, but we didn't. Well, it's funny, though, because I know every song can be so different. Like Neil Diamond, I've known for years, and he told me, Sweet Caroline, a song like that just came from God. And then he told me, I Am I Said, nearly killed me. He's like, oh, that, he's like I battled with that song for so long. So it's interesting for yeah. you, when you have these songs that come so effortless, do you feel like a connection to the universe? Do you feel like it's like, because I think there are also songs that just bring you, you know, and I, I think probably the most it's funny and talking with so many artists about it the one that comes up the most and you actually reference the song is hallelujah and if you talk to most artists they will tell you that is the song that is closest to the universe the divine whatever it is whatever you believe in yeah i would say that's right up there i love that you told me that about neil diamond because i am i said is one of my favorite songs like i have spent i bet i've listened to that song for an entire month of my life. Like there are, I go through periods of time where I'm, I'm terrible. It's either terrible or good. However you look at it. If I'm on, if I'm on a song, it's all I will listen to. And I am, I said, has been one of those for me. And it's good for me to hear that he had to work real hard for that because there are other songs, some of them on this record that I've had to work like that for. And when something like buried happens, you think, Oh, is is that other thing that was so hard? It, it, am I just wanting it because it was hard? But so to hear that, 
I am, I said, was like, that makes me feel really, really good. Like I said, he literally said it nearly killed me. He's like, one of us was going to die doing that song. Oh my gosh. I love that. I mean, I, I'm glad he didn't die and I'm glad the song's out there. Cause and when we hang up, I'm going to listen to it. Cause that's one of my favorites. Well, it's interesting then. I mean, it's okay. Wait, now as a fan, I have to ask, what was the last song that you were obsessed with? I get the same way too. And it's so funny because the last song that I was really obsessed with randomly was Motley Crue. Don't go away mad. And it was funny. I was kind of embarrassed by it. Nora Jones, who I love was like, I love that song. She's like, I want to cover Motley Crue shout at the devil. So oh I love that, you know, Nora Jones wants to cover Motley Crue. So I guess there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. No, I mean, the last, I'll tell you one I can really get on. Uh, there's a couple that, that I go back to. Like when I need to smile, Rose Garden, Lynn Anderson, I can listen to that song forever. It, make, it always makes me smile. But more, most recently, the two songs, while I was, before I made the record, I was really listening a lot to um are the good times really over for good merle haggard couldn't get off of that and that's why i wrote she smoked in the house because that puts me in the mind of my grandparents but then when we were mixing the record i listened incessantly to john mayer emoji of a wave because that song i can't even describe what it makes me feel but there were times in the process when i would say to brandy and brandon I want it to make me feel like this. And I played them that song. I, and I said, I don't know what it is, but I, it has to feel like this. It has to make me feel like this. It doesn't need to feel like that song, but the emotion I feel when I listen to that. So that is probably most recently the song that I, have, that I got obsessed with and just listened to on repeat. All right, wait. So how does it make you feel when you listen to that? I love John Mayer, by the way, one of my favorite people in music. He's also so damn smart. Man, and that song, you know, it's probably what I like about what it makes me feel is I can't really put it into words. It makes me want to cry. I do cry when I listen to it. It's just it's just what music should be, which to me is the music should say what the lyric can't. And that song does that. Like it, it never gets huge, but it feels big. It, I mean, I feel like he's right there with me singing it. And it also to me feels, and this is really a testament to his songwriting. When I listen to that song, I feel like he's coming up with it as I'm listening. So that's probably part of it. Like I feel like he's discovering it while I'm discovering it. Yeah. No, I guess it's such a smart guy. It's interesting for you, but I want to go back for a second too. So as I was asking about buried and up above the clouds, when you have those moments that, you know, we'll call it the sweet Caroline moment where the song comes from God or whatever you think it comes from. Do you feel like a connection with the universe at that point? Do you feel like you're sort of more, and it's so funny because in terms of channeling the work, the person who described it best to me was Ben Harper, who's an amazing songwriter. And what he said was, it's like you have your antennas just up and the songs come to you. If you have the antennas up, they come to you. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree with that. And this is off topic, but I just want to say this for a second. There, I tried one time to get up at 4 a.m. because I had gone to lunch or to breakfast with, um, oh my God, it's been a long day. Um, 
and this is a very famous musician producer. And when I say his name, you're going to be like, what? That wasn't on the tip of your tongue. Um, oh my God. He's produced a record on Brandy. He produced that great Allison Krauss, Robert Plant record, T-Bone. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. So T-Bone and I went, to, I'm so sorry. I mean, really, it has been a long day. Um, it's all good. T-Bone Burnett and I went to breakfast one time and he told me that the most creative year of his life, he got up and he wrote between 4 a.m. and 7 or 8 every day. And I started to do some research on that. And people, a lot of people believe in that 4 a.m. hour and that there are all these ideas and there aren't as many antennas up trying to grab them. And so I tried that for a while. I would get up at 4 and I would write till 7 or 8. The problem was by four o'clock in the afternoon, I was done. So I couldn't keep doing that. But I do believe that about your antennas are always, and I never really caught anything great in those hours, but I do think your antenna has to be up always. And I think as a songwriter, it is. Someone said something to me earlier today that I wrote down a chorus because I was like, that's a song. You know, I, I twisted what they said a little bit and they were just, this person saw the songwriter. They just were making a comment to me. And I thought, that's a song. And that does happen when that antenna's up. And I think when it's down, like when you're not in a creative space as much, a lot of things can fly over your head that you don't catch. And what I always feel when I do catch one of those, like buried or up above the clouds, is just elation and relief. Because every time I write a song like that, my fear is that I'll never write one like that again. And so I'm always trying to do that. And when I do it and know it, there's not a better feeling than just knowing you have just, <laughs> it's, it's probably, you know, if we're talking about antennas and catching things, it's probably like catching the big fish. You know, you know, you've caught the big fish and okay, you, you can still, you're still a pretty, you're still a good fisherman. Well, it's so interesting. I mean, the 4 a.m. thing makes sense because your mind is just uncluttered. Yes. That you is know, it's funny. I used to like to write at night and I realized I can't write at night. I, I like to write much better in the morning, but it makes sense. Your mind is uncluttered. But that's interesting that you say you never really caught the great thing because I think, and again, I, I'm no expert on this, but it just it makes sense to me having talked to so many people about this. When you get up at 4 a.m. for that, you're trying for it. And it does feel like from talking to so many people about it, you can't, it's not something you can try for. No, you, that you are so right on that. And, and both those songs we talked about buried and up above the clouds, nobody was trying. We were just being like, we were just being in the moment. And sometimes being in the moment means that nothing is going to happen. But some, but sometimes when you're able to just do that, something like that happens too. But you're right. I never caught anything at 4 a.m. because I was trying too hard. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, it's funny. Your mind is uncluttered, but you're also freaking tired. Oh, yeah. Now, one thing I did learn from that is I love a sunrise more than a sunset. And so because of that time I spent doing that, I get up and watch a lot more sunrises than I ever did before. There's something about watching the day come in that I love more than watching it come out, go out. And so that was probably what I caught in that time. All right. Interesting too, by the way, wait, I want to ask you one more question on this and then we're going to come back to the play and the uh, album. But I asked you and, and I mentioned hallelujah, but what is the song for you from someone else that just brings you closest to the universe? 
Oh, wow. Great question. There are so many. Um, man. Oh. Well, that emoji of a wave is one that, that brings me pretty close. Um, you know, man, God, that's a good question. There are so many. Um, a lot of the real classic country does because of, I think a lot of that has to do with my childhood and, and remembering all that. But I will say goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. There's something to that song that, that when he does that, oh, that's like my favorite lyric ever written. <laughs> I mean, not really, but I mean, there's so much in that. Oh, those are the, the moments in songs where I feel close to the universe, that kind of thing. Um, man, there's just so many. It's a tough one. Well, I mean, there's no right answer. Obviously there's so many, there's so many incredible songs, you know, but wait, now I'm going to, I'm going to switch this around for a second. Cause like I mentioned, there are multiple lyrics on this album that as a writer, I got jealous of. So what for you was the last lyric from someone else that you got jealous of? Oh, let me think. I mean, I get, I get jealous of a lot of lyrics. You know, I got to say, um, oh man. I was, you know, and I'm not just saying this because we worked on this record together, but I was pretty jealous of the joke. Randy Carlyle, that's a great lyric. Um, there are parts of that that just slay me. Um, well, and then there are some, there are some Sarah Bareilles songs that do that to me too. Um, gosh, these are great questions because I'm really, <laughs> I'm really having fun. <laughs> Um, I'm always jealous of a lyric that I wouldn't have written, you know, that is, that's different than what I would write. Um, man, I don't know. I mean, those are, those are the two biggest examples that come to mind. Um, yeah, trying to think of anything. I have so much music in my head. No, it's uh, all good. I mean, those are good ones. I'm just, you know, like for me as a fan, I'm curious. And it's so funny because I'm also curious, you know, when someone tells you as a writer that they're jealous of your lyrics, I remember telling that to Nick Cave once who had a big smile on his face and he was like, as a writer, that's the best thing that you could tell me. It just had the shitty grin. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. You know, and I was thinking when I answered that, I've never told Brandy or Sarah that I was jealous of their lyrics. I mean, for Sarah, it's that song she had in Waitress, She Used to Be Mine. Like, that just... And it also, to me, it's also the mar the marriage of that, mel that melody. Like, just, just really gets me. You know, I hadn't thought about this. What was the timeline that this album was written versus Shucked. Well, so Shucked has been, it's funny because somebody came to Shucked one night that, uh, do you know Sarah Rodman? No. She, she used to write at the Boston Globe. I don't know where she writes now, but she came to Shucked one night and she was like, this, she just loved it. And she said, 
Brandy, that's just so crazy to me to think that you made a record while you wrote this musical. And I said, and I hadn't thought about it till she said it. I said, actually, Sarah, I made three records because this musical took 10 years to write. And we got the musical based on a song that Shane and I wrote on my first record called Pray to Jesus. That was the book writer of the musical heard that song and said, I want this musical, this music to be in that vein. And that was why he chose Shane and I. And so, but so we've been working on it all those years, but a huge portion of it and a very intense portion of it happened right before I made this record. We went to Salt Lake City in September, October, and worked on the musical for probably six very intense weeks where you're doing rewrites every day, having meetings, having, you know, watching the show, watching the audience, seeing how they respond. So I did that. I drove from Salt Lake City back to LA, thought I had all the songs picked out, but listened to catalog the whole way and uncovered a few that I had forgotten about and got to LA, flew to Nashville to be part of the Lindyville performance on the CMAs, flew back to LA the next morning and started the record. So that was more than you asked. So worked on the record for November, um, a little bit of December. We really tracked, we tracked this record over six days and then, and I got sick. And so then we had to do a few things later, but we, it was fast. And then cut some strings in New York, worked on a few vocals and then it was done. It was done in January. And then we went into Broadway rehearsals um, end of January. So just, a, you know, it was one thing on top of the other. Well, the reason I ask is it's funny because I hadn't thought about this, but it's like, right, I've talked to so many people about composing film scores or, mm-hmm. you know, like if I'm talking to Questlove about doing Jimmy Kimmel all those years and Max Weinberg from E Street Band about doing Conan O'Brien. And, you know, how as a musician, you have to learn all these other songs when you do TV. Or if you're a film composer, it's very interesting because you're writing to fit someone else's vision. And so I'm curious, did you plan of writing to fit the musical influence your songwriting on this album? Because it's it's funny what you say about it is that, you know, basically you have to go to practice. And mm-hmm. writing for someone else's vision is practice. It is. And man, it was it's was such a great challenge because we our story of our musical changed a lot over it, right up until we opened. And so Shane and I were in constant rewrites. Constantly. And we were always having, you know, our, our book, our, our, our school, our um, text of our musical is so funny. And so Shane and I, and there's a lot of jokes in it. And so Shane and I are really charged with carrying the heart and telling the story, which we're good at, thank God. But we had to get better at it for this. And we had to learn to tell little pieces of the story. One thing writing this musical has done for me in spades was When I made my first record, 12 Stories, I had never written for myself. And I really was scared to do that. And so I just would always write a lot of songs. And then what worked for me worked for me. And I and I would always, when I would write with other artists who were just writing for their projects, I would always think, man, that's a really narrow target to hit. That would feel like a lot of pressure to me. I'm glad I have all this time to write all these songs and then figure out what works for me. 
after doing this musical and while doing it, what I learned is, oh no, I can do that too. Because I'm always project writing. I was always project writing for this musical. And it was a different project at different times. And so I learned a lot. And, and I also learned in this, from doing this musical, to not be scared of anything. Because we would have to write huge numbers that were not, we never felt like they were in our wheelhouse, but somehow we did it. And so it all, all of that, I think, help, has helped me as an artist. So it's interesting when you go back and hear this record, then are there moments where you hear that influence of the musical? And again, maybe it's a totally different sound, but in terms of how it helped you as an artist, in terms of how it gave you confidence, or in terms of also, you know, just the freedom to then having done this, to know that you could do the album. Yeah, I mean, I think a song like Ain't Enough Rocks, doing something like writing this musical, which is nothing like that song, but made me fearless in storytelling and not scared to tell any story. And so, yes, I do hear it when I hear songs like that. Um, I'm trying to think of another song. Well, you know, she smoked in the house. That kind of thing is in my wheelhouse and part of why I got to do this musical. And um, so, yeah, I think, I think there's some of that in there. Well, it's funny because you talked about that one at the playback and, uh, you know, I mean, that's one of those ones that gets very personal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that one, I really thought I was just writing that for me. And I felt like I wrote that with my grandma from the other side, you know, talk about channeling somebody or something. That's one that, that was kind of like my I am, I said. I mean, that song took me a long time. And I remember when I was writing it thinking, this is just a waste of time. I'm writing a song about my grandma, Ruth, and I know it's just for me, but I wanted to get it right for her and for me. And so that's a good lesson to me. Like, I'm, you know, I got to make me happy first before a listener's going to like it. And people tend to have that of the songs that have been heard, people resonate to that and say, oh, that was my grandma or that was my mom. And um, I think it's because it is so, so real to me. Well, it's interesting for you. I mean, it's funny. At what point then did you decide, okay, this is a song that isn't just for me, but I can actually put out. When other people started hearing it and resonating with it, you know, specifically Jeff Sosnow at Warner, he, that was top of his list. Brandy, when I sent her, you know, probably 18, 24 songs, it was in her top couple of songs. And I was like, oh, wow. And, and it's always harder for me when it's something I've written by myself to fight for it. And so I had written it by myself, so I wasn't going to fight for it the way that I maybe fought for some other songs. And I didn't have to fight for it because they all, they, they were all fighting for it for me. Um, so that was pretty, that was when I started to see, oh, but I still thought, and this is awful specific. It was when, when it came out on iTunes as that second um, grat track and, and it got the response it did that I really started to feel it. So, it's interesting for you. I mean, it's funny. Do you feel like you've also, I always find this to be the case that, you know, the more personal you get, I think the more people resonate with it because they, they feel that they hear themselves. So it's interesting for you. Were you initially surprised though at how much people, you know, did resonate with a song 
that is that personal, that is, well, I guess that when I say that personal, I mean, all of your music is personal, but that's specific. I was, I was, I'm never shocked when like, I, there's a song on there, Dear Insecurity. That's probably the most personal song for me because it's those, all those things I'm singing about are, are truly insecurities I have. And to share those, to, to sing those out loud is, is scary. Um, but it's not, it's not specific in the way that, and I think a lot of people will resonate with Dear Insecurity because we all have insecurity. Um, but the way, yeah, the way Smoked in the House is so specifically about my grandma, that part did surprise me. Well, it's funny what you say, though, because like you say, people are like, oh, that's my grandma, too. So mm -hmm. it's interesting, you know, for you, to me, like the, the best songwriting is universal. You know, it's very, and, and again, I did this book last year called Anthems, uh, we love, and I talked to all these different artists, you know, everyone from Otis Williams, The Temptation, to Graham Nash, to, you know, all these people about one of their most iconic songs, Niall Rogers was in there, all these people, and the point is, is that what was really interesting to me was to talk with Graham Nash about our house, but particularly Daryl Hall talking about Sarah Smile, which is probably the song I developed the biggest appreciation for. And I mean, come on, that literally was written about a girl named Sarah. It could not have been more specific. And yet it's remarkable how many people feel that they identify with that song. And I think it was just, it's very simply the intimacy of people wanting that connection. I think you're right. And for as long as I've been doing this, it's good for me to be reminded of that. And I am when something like, smoked smoked in the house comes out because I'm reminded like, Oh, we're all a whole lot more alike than we are different. And so if we can talk about somebody told me a, a songwriter, I really respect a long time ago told me if you want to be uh, general or universal, you have got to be specific. And that is so true. I mean, when I think about the things like Elton John, your song, that's a song, you want to talk about a song that makes me feel, I used another one of his, but that makes me feel connected to something. And when he says that, I sat on the roof, I kicked off the moss. Well, a few of the verses, they've got me quite cross. That is so specific and so weird, but we all love that. Yeah. I can see it. I can see that. I sat on the roof and kicked off the moss. I can see all that. Well, it's interesting because like you say, it's funny because, um, you know, uh, oh, Smoked in the House, obviously, again, is a song specifically about your grandmother. But like you say, Dear Insecurity is probably the most personal. And of course, everybody can relate to a good, well, you know, I'm going to love you until I'm buried. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we all have one of those. We might not tell anybody who it is, um, but we've all got one. I've learned that through that song, too. I've had a few people send me uh, pictures of themselves crying and saying, I would never want my husband to know this, but, you know, I'll love my ex-husband. Even though it didn't work, I'll love him till I'm buried. I had a friend that sent me that text. And I was, it shocked me. Like, because I didn't know that about her. You know, I thought, oh, I thought she hated him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is great. So you not only have written a, a brilliant album, but you're also becoming therapist to people. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of being a songwriter. <laughs> so wait, what are your therapy albums? What are the albums? I, one of my favorite interviews of all time was I was talking with the chicks and they gave me their divorce playlist because they all three were divorced at the time and they, their literal divorce playlist. So what's your therapy playlist? 
Oh, wow. So I would definitely have to say Heart of the Matter, Don Henley. Um, that one's up there for me. Uh, you've got a friend, um, be it Carol King or James Taylor. Um, I'm going to say I am. I said that's on there. Um, oh, crazy Dolly Parton or not Dolly Parton, Patsy, Patsy Klein. Um, I was thinking of Dolly though. Um, oh gosh, there's so many. Um, Patty Loveless's whole album, When Fallen Angels Fly, that's, that's a therapy album for me. Um, Adele, Hello, that song, I can just drive around and listen to that and cry. Um, there are musical theater, uh, Les Mis. I know that's probably not the coolest answer, but I, that's therapy to me to drive around and listen to the, the Les Mis soundtrack. Um, Oh, Merle Haggard. You know, I, I mentioned are the good times really over for good, but I can just put on Merle Haggard or Waylon Jennings and I can drive for hours. And whatever's bothering me gets better in listening to their songs for sure. That's a great playlist. I'm going to have to go and like put that together. Or you should put that together. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> Neil so Diamond, for you, I mean, the fact that you mentioned Neil Diamond, there's a lot of his stuff I love. So much. He's so iconic. Yeah, no, he's an incredible songwriter, but it's so funny because he's such a he's such a great artist. But you know, and this is so funny to me too. How 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 put it, you know how incredibly insecure most artists are. I remember, and this is you know confidential, but his wife manager is also one of my close friends. That's how I got to know him so well. And I remember when he was honored as Music Care's Person of the Year, his response was, "That's really cool, but is anybody going to actually want to cover my songs?" Oh, I mean, I'll never repeat that, but that breaks my heart. <laughs> breaks my heart well it obviously turned out great and stuff but yeah it's interesting for you as well you know it's so funny because i've known brandy for years but we really haven't talked much about her so very quickly you know mm -hmm. talk about what she brought to the project and it's funny because i ran into her not long ago at sunset marquee and you know i like i said i've known her for years and she mentioned the fact that she's only willing to produce like three artists right now there was you tanya and one more oh lucius because i had interviewed lucius as well but mm -hmm. i mean talk about for you what an insane compliment that is. Cause she said at the time, she's like, I'm, you know, she's like, I'm limiting myself. Yeah. It was such a compliment. And she said the way it started was we had worked on a couple tracks during the pandemic and one of them got nominated for a Grammy that we didn't win. And she leaned over to me and said, buddy, I'd, I'd love to produce a whole record on you. And that floored me. Absolutely floored me because I know she doesn't work with just everybody. And you know, we sat down and talked about it and, and she said some things that really intrigued me. She said, you know, I see it as your return to the Northwest, which was what inspired the song Northwest to be written. Why that, why I even wrote that song. But, you know, she reminded me, the biggest thing that she brought to me, I mean, a couple of things, you know, she said, I want to help you take a, a further step into Americana. She's like, you really straddle that country Americana line. I want to help you step further into Americana because I feel like that world wants to embrace you. And then she said to me, um, when we started working on the record, this was a this was a real challenge to me and a real I had to put my ego down. She asked me to make some lyric changes, 
Some of them were unburied, actually. And I had never had a producer ask me to do that. And I was somewhat offended. I was like, well, these songs, I didn't just like slop these together. Like these have been labored over. And, um, and I said, and I feel like, unless I've written it by myself, I feel like it's disrespectful to the, to the co-writers for me to do that. And she said, why? And I said, well, because I feel like I need to be in service to the song. And she said, not this time. I think you need to be in service to the artist. And something in me shifted. And she's like, I don't want you to sing one thing that I don't believe. And so that was a, a big thing she brought. And the, probably the biggest thing, though, that she brought to me that I'll take forward. I hope her and I make more records together. But even if we don't, I will take this forward with me as a songwriter for the rest of my life. I asked her why she chose the songs she chose, because I always give a producer, like I said, 18 to 24 songs and say, pick 10, because I'm too close to those songs by then. And she said, well, I loved all the songs. They were all great, but I picked the songs that felt like you wrote them in your bedroom. And that, a bell went off inside of me because it reminded me of why we started making music in the first place. Like, it wasn't to be tricky and be clever and show other songwriters what we could do. It was because we had a song in our heart and we'd sit in, a, in our bedroom with our guitar and bang it out until we got it down on paper. And so that was a, that's a real gift she gave me to be reminded four records in that, that of why, why, why I really, why I wanted to make music, why I make music. It's, it's good. It was good for me to be reminded of that. It's interesting as well that, hold on one second. Sorry. I have issues on occasion with the Wi-Fi, so it just well, crapped out for a second. But um, what I was going to say, it's interesting as well. I like the fact that, again, this goes back to what you were saying about how she sort of, in a, in a sense, you know, tricked you into doing Buried in the in the soft way. And, you know, it's like, again, I, I think there is, and um, I was just interviewing Bishop, Bishop Briggs yesterday, who's amazing, love her, she's an incredible artist. And we we're talking about, you know, there's something about doing a demo version. There's just that rawness that mm -hmm. just, and it's like, you can perfect something, but the reality is you're going to catch something in the beginning. There's that intimacy, that vulnerability and spontaneity. And I mentioned doing an AOL session and I used to do those all the time. And after the first performance, if they needed to redo it, I would walk out because I hated watching a second performance. And it didn't matter if it was my favorite artist. It, had, it, it, was, it wouldn't matter because there was just something of the authenticity loss. So for you you know, talk about being reminded of that. Cause I think it takes you back to being an artist in your early days when you yeah. don't have a lot of money to record and everything has to be done quickly. And yeah. there is like it, an authenticity to that, that sometimes I think can be taken away, not intentionally, but just because, you know, you learn so many tricks. You do. I mean, this record to me, it, it's like making a first record again, because it was so different. Like, it was all live and there was no click track. That was so foreign to me. Now, I mean, I've never made a record, even my first record where there was no click track. There might be a song or two without a click track, but not the whole thing. And it just, it did, it took me back to the way, the way you do get started. And, and a lot of these songs didn't have demos. They were work tapes. And I think that's part of why the performances were good because nobody was copying a work tape. 
we were we were putting it down as it was happening. Cool. Well, I know we're at 45 minutes, which is what we had. Is there anything that you want to add? Well, wait, I haven't asked you about, though. Um, quickly, what songs from these are you most from this record? Are you most excited to play live? Because, you know, the other thing, too, is, of course, as soon as you play songs live, the audience makes their own and they bring their own feelings to them and you get to watch. And it's funny. I remember my favorite song of all time is James Taylor, Fire and Rain. And I remember watching uh-huh. this PBS concert where you watch that they pan the audience. And what I loved about it, every single person in the audience was crying, but you knew that every single person was crying for a completely different reason. So, you know, I'm sure when you get to do Buried and watch everybody in the audience tearing up over, you know, their ex that they, you thought they hated, and you yeah. now realize they were never over. So what are the songs from this record that you are most excited? Or, you know, when you do a song like Northwest and all these expats are like, okay, wait, I remember when I lived in Seattle when I was eight years old. Yeah, well, you know, the ones that are going to be real exciting to play live are Northwest and Ain't Enough Rocks. Um, Now, there's going to be a challenge in some of these, like, uh, All Over Again and um, the ones with Lucius. You know, those are those girls tell her you don't love her. Um, We have done Up Above the Clouds. I always that's one of my favorite ones to do. Um, I've been doing that one live for a while. Honestly, I'm pretty excited to do Dear Insecurity and see how that resonates with people. Um, and then, you know, I just said Ain't Enough Rocks, but Ain't Enough Rocks for sure. I'm excited to do that one live. Um, she Smoked in the House just because I can't wait to see all those people singing that one. Um, actually, the more I think about this, the more I'm like, this is going to be a fun record to do live. Um, so... Yeah, I'm buried, you know, that one. I've gotten, I did that live in the vineyard a couple weeks ago and, and it went over really, really well. With not an easy crowd. So wait, I always ask this, when you have an album that you want to do, you know, every song, would you ever do it in its entirety, start to finish? I sure would. I would. I love doing that, actually. When I sequence a record, that's the way I think about it. Okay, if this were a live show, how would this feel? Yeah, I'd love to do this record top to bottom. Cool. What do you want to add? I did not ask. Wait. So, because I'm already predicting now. Oh, shit. What was the song that you and Brandy did not win for? And then, you know, what would how would it feel to, to sort of, uh, you know, this year? So, I lost you a little bit. So, the song, the song we didn't win for was Same Devil. Um, I would love it if we got nominated. And I'd love it. Even, I mean, I can't even think about if we would win, but I'm, I imagine I imagine us being nominated in that. That would be something to see this record and and different songs off of it. I mean, I could I'd love to see her and I performing Dear Insecurities, Dear Insecurity on the Grammys. That would be a real dream. Well, the Grammys do love her and I know Harvey. So, yeah, I'm going to make sure that, you know, he sees this article. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> cool. What do you want to add? I didn't ask you about. You hit it. You hit it all. So it was a great interview. Thanks. No, it's always, I mean, it's, you know, again, I can geek out on songwriting all day long and, you know, it's such a wonderful, wonderful record and, you know, being at the listening and, you know, getting to hear the stories about it. But yeah, no, as soon as I was at the list, I was like, I actually, well, I said to you that night and then I hit up Rick. Actually, I emailed Rick that night. I love it. I'm going to say one more thing. Another one I look forward to perform, performing because when I played Brandy's festival, we did it and it went over so well as come back to me. 
Um, that's a great live song. And I, I underestimated that. So I'd, I'll add that. Wait, now I have to ask you, I'm going to sneak in one more. What's your favorite Broadway show? Of all time? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's such a good one. Music Man. Because it was, it's the whole reason why I'm doing this. My mom took me to see Oklahoma when I was really little and it was a community production. And the next year they did Music Man. And she asked me if I wanted to audition. And I said, sure. And she took me straight from my softball game to the audition, which was smart because I probably would have gotten scared. And I auditioned for the role Amaryllis and they were going to give it to me, but I couldn't play piano. And my mom said, I'll bring her back tomorrow. I'll teach her. My mom taught me this, the crosshand piece that you had to play. And I got that role. And so that will always be my favorite. Um, Phantom of the Opera is way up there, though, because that was the first big show I saw. Um, yeah, I'd say Music Man. Cool. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Thank you. Hey, it's Steve Balton. You've been here on My Turning Point with special guest Brandy Clark. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.